welcome to the podcast. This podcast is where sermons, messages, and other presentations from Christ Community Church in Brawley, California are posted. For more information, you can go to www.cccciv.org and select the Brawley campus or find us on the App Store. Let's get started. Send the worship team song selection for us here this morning. Uh, really kind of taps into what we're talking about uh, in this current sermon series that we're going through. We're looking at how the church exists as the family of God. And the songs that uh, we sung about God being our good father, that's the basis for why we can press into what God has called us to be and do. And we also sung the song, I Will Follow, we're reminded that once we are part of this family, then we're supposed to take on the family resemblance and live as our family of God calls us to live, that is, following in the footsteps of Jesus. Today, we're going to be looking at what it means to be part of this household of God, the family of God. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles uh, in the back that can be passed out. So if you just throw up your hand, someone will come by and drop off a Bible to you. So we're in Acts chapter 2, and we'll be, if you were here last week, then you heard our, our discussion about what it means to be adopted into the family of God. This idea that once we weren't part of the family, but now through Christ we have been brought in. And what I said last week and what I want to repeat this week is this, that our identity forms our activity. That is, who we are informs what we do. And if you try to skip to, okay, what do I need to do before you really grasp who you are in Christ, then you're going to be struggling. You're going to have a hard time because your identity, your view of yourself is going to impact the way you're going to be able to live out the call of God in your life. So our identity as adopted into the family of God now shapes what we do now part of that family. And I want us to just consider that this idea of being part of a family, this uh, church community that we're in, there's a lot of talk these days about, you know, real community. And, and at first, it seems like everybody wants real community, good community, healthy community. But in, in essence, a lot of us avoid community that goes really below, uh, below the surface. That is, we, we tend to struggle as, as uh, people to really get connected to others. Uh, Robert Wuthnow, a professor at Princeton, he said this about people who come together in these groups. He says that these groups mainly provide occasions for individuals to focus on themselves in the presence of others. The social contract binding members together asserts only the weakest of obligations. Come if you have time. Talk if you feel like it. Respect everyone's opinion. Never criticize. Leave quietly if you become dissatisfied. Now, that is also true, not just of everyone else, but also true of, of many Christians as well, that we hesitate to press into this community. We hesitate to press into the family of God. And I want us to just take some time to consider, again, the state, our identity is going to inform our 
activity. So uh, stay, in, stay in Acts chapter 2, but I want to read just from Ephesians chapter 2 to remind us of where we came from and who we are now, our identity. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, Paul writes, For through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, that's what we used to be, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So by faith in Christ, we have been brought into the household of God. And there's, there's implications for what that means about how we live our lives. And the, 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 the basic point is this, is that when we join into the family, we take on the family resemblance. We were called to do the things that the family's already doing. And so I want us to look at just the works of Jesus, his, what he did, what he even continues to do. And I want us to just think through what, in a sense, our older brother Jesus is doing and how we're called to follow him in his work. So the, the five roles that Jesus performs are this, that he is the family member, the perfect family member. He is the perfect worshiper. He's the perfect student. He's the perfect servant. And he's the perfect witness. So those, those five categories, I want us to just see how Jesus fulfills those. So first, uh, he's the ultimate perfect family member. And we see this so much throughout the entire New Testament uh, that Jesus uh, has called us his brothers, called us his family. And he was, of course, the perfect a son to his father. We talked about that last week. So, uh, but I think seeing Jesus as the ultimate worshiper may be something that is less familiar to us. But this is what Hebrews chapter 2 tells us. In verses 11 through 12, uh, this is what it says. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is going to be in the midst of us singing praises to God the Father. And so Jesus is, is this perfect worshiper, okay, but Jesus was also the perfect student. And we see this in Luke chapter 2, just as Jesus is 12 years old, he's at Jerusalem, but his parents leave town without him, and they come back trying to find Jesus. And what happens? Well, Luke 2 verses 46 and following says, after three days, they found him in the temple. Have you ever lost your kids for three days? Mm. Sitting among the teachers. Oh, wow. Listening to them, Jesus was listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So Jesus is at the experts in the Bible, and he's listening to them, and he's asking them questions. And then in verse 52, it says this, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus, if you look at his life, you know one thing's for sure. Jesus knew Scripture. He memorized Scripture. He knew his Father's Word. So he was, he was the ultimate student of his Father and of his Father's Word as well. So, okay, Jesus was the ultimate student. He's also the ultimate servant. That is, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus has this pretty well-known quote. He says in verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is the ultimate service servant, 
But not only that, he's the ultimate witness. He bears witness about God. And we see this in John 18. Verse 37, Jesus says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Okay, so we, we blaze through these five roles, these, these five categories that Jesus fulfills. He's the ultimate witness, he's the ultimate servant, he's the ultimate family member, he's the ultimate worshiper, and he's the ultimate student. And so these are the things that Jesus did or is even continuing to do. And if we're in the family now, if we're part of God's family and God's household, then our call is to be an image of Christ. We're supposed to be Christ-like. And so these are the five big categories, the big roles that every Christian is called to imitate Jesus in. And there's one passage in the New Testament that I think captures all five of these roles when sinners who are, are broken through repentance and faith are brought into the family of God, and as a result, they are transformed, their, their identity has changed, and therefore their activity has changed. And this activity is a reflection of what Jesus Christ has done. So that passage that I think hits all five of those roles is in Acts chapter 2. So, okay, let's, let's get into it. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, this is right after Pentecost. This is right after the Spirit of God has come down and indwelled the people of God and the church is born. So what, is the, what happens after the church begins? What community is created as a result? Well, we get a picture of that in verse 42 and following of chapter 2 of Acts. So, Acts 2.42 says this, that they, that is the disciples, the Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So in these verses, I think you see a great picture of the followers of Jesus imitating their Savior and their Lord. And so I want us to break this, this passage down a little bit and look at these roles that we're called to imitate of Christ. And so if last week was, let's, let's meditate deeply on what God has done for us. This week is, let's get our hands in the mud. Let's get very practical, very, very hands-on and what it means to be the family of God. All right, so let's start with uh, we, our identity, our role as students. We see this in verse 42, that the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now, uh, today, we don't have any apostles. There's no one who has seen in the flesh the risen Jesus Christ and have been commissioned by Jesus for a special purpose. But even though we do not have apostles today, we still have their teaching passed on to us in God's word. And so when, when we consider our role as students, we're called to learn about God and his ways from his 
word. This, this aspect this, of our role is a focus on the truth, on doctrine, on theology, and how to live our lives in accordance with the truth that we've been presented here. And so we see that the New Testament church was so focused on making sure that they were aware of what God's word taught. Okay, so that's, that's the role as student, but we also see this role of just family and fellowship. Uh, we see also in verse 42 that they were devoted to the fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And especially this idea of breaking bread. Back then, if you had dinner with someone, if you had a meal with someone, you were basically saying, I'm with that person. I'm, uh, I want to invest in them. I want to have solidarity with that person. You are basically saying, I'm on their side if you were having a meal with them. And so this uh, act of just eating together was so rich with uh, this connotation of fellowship and intimacy with one another. And this role uh, brings a focus on relationships that we have with one another. Uh, this, this role has an emphasis on communicating and encouraging one another, sharing burdens with one another. This, this very rich idea of community is very prominent in our role as family, okay? We also see in verse 43 our role as worshipers, worshipers. So in verse 43, it says that all came upon every soul. And then later in verse 47, it says that the disciples were praising God. Worship is an amazement with God, being amazed with what God has done and has done for you. And so it's honoring and loving God above all else. And so this, this role is an emphasis on enjoying God, uh, praising God, singing to God, enjoying God's presence. These are, these are uh, just activities of where you're recognizing your relationship to God and enjoying it. And we see that that was a uh, priority here in the early church. Okay, next verse, 40, uh, verse 44 and 45 shows our role as servants. That is, the early disciples were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so we see here that the Christians not only served their own group, that is, the other Christians, but they also served those who were outside the group as well. It says, says, this, says that they were distributing these proceeds to all. And so this role emphasizes a focus on meeting the needs of others, uh, whether it's material or otherwise, providing some assistance, uh, sacrificing our maybe luxuries for the sake of another. And so this is the, the role of, of what it means to be a servant. And then we see in verse 47, this last role of being a witness, a witness. And in verse 47, it says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what happened here is that the Christian community in uh, chapter 2 of Acts had a very good reputation with the larger community. Even though the larger community may not have been uh, of the same faith, they still respected the Christians because of their public display of, of uh, good works. And they were very public about their faith. And so uh, this, this role of, of witnessing means living your life kind of publicly, but also your beliefs publicly. That is, you are, it's a focus on evangelism, a focus on sharing the good news or sharing how God has been working in your life. Okay, so these five roles 
is what it means to be a part of the household of God, to be part of God's family. And I want us to just look at a couple different observations and, and kind of see maybe where we're at and are we living up to what God has called us to be as his community. All right, first observation. When we look at these five roles, we see that churches tend to be one of these five. They emphasize one of these roles and sometimes can do it to the exclusion of the others. You have churches that are, are all about the study, right? They, they focus on doctrine and theology and want to do Bible study after Bible study, but they have maybe no real interest in evangelism or, or service. You have some churches that are all about the worship, right? Just great music, great experiencing God in his presence, but they, uh, they don't really know each other very well. The community, the family aspect isn't there. You've got the student, you know, these student churches looking down on the worshiper churches saying, ah, you know, they're, they're praising God, but they don't really know God. And then you've got the servant churches looking down on the student churches saying, you know, they, they study the Bible and, and know a bunch of stuff, but their, their faith never turns into good works. And then you've got the witnessing church looking down on the servant church saying, yeah, you guys are really busy meeting physical needs, but what about the spiritual needs of the people that you're encountering? And so you can, you can have these different roles kind of looking at each other and saying, hey, you need to be more like me. And this is something that we need to watch out for. This is something we need to ensure that even if we as a church maybe are gifted one way or another, we still take into consideration all five roles that we've been called into. We need to be, be careful about that. Here's the second thing. Whatever strength we might have, we need to be careful because so often our greatest strength can become our greatest weakness. If you've read through the book of 1 Corinthians, then you know that there's a lot of talented people, a lot of gifted people in that church, but that church was still very messed up because they were so divided over their different giftings. Well, we need to pay attention to that example. And here's an example of what that could look like. Let's say, let's say a church is really, really good at the family stuff, the fellowship. There's, there's really rich connections, really strong relationships within the church. What can happen is that the church elevates the, the fellowship and the community and the intimacy stuff so much that if a new person comes into the picture, the church can say, well, if we, if we let them in, then we're going to lose a lot of the depth of our relationship. We're going to have to start over again. And we... we we feel really connected to each other, so we don't want to let new people in and, and kind of mess that up. And that's unhealthy. Or you can even have the opposite situation as well, that you have a group that's really glued together, but there's, there's needs. There's, there's uh, opportunities for ministry, but the group is unwilling to send out some of their best people because they say, oh, I enjoy the relationship. I know that that person could be doing more for God's kingdom outside of our group, but we'd rather have him here with us or have them with us. And so if, if you make one of these roles into an all-guiding uh, foundation for your, your, your community, for, your, for our church, then you can be missing out on all the blessings that God has called us to. So we need to make sure that we don't uh, focus on one to the exclusion of these other roles. Um, and I think this is something maybe that we at, in Brawley here, the Brawley Christ Community Church campus, uh, I think that can be something that we can struggle with, that we can say, okay, um, we need to, you know, we love our fellowship, we love our time together, but do we, how well are we bringing new people into that? 
The last observation for this I, I want to bring before you is this, that these five roles can not only be a way that churches can kind of look down on other churches, but also a way that we as Christians can look down on other Christians. If God has gifted us in such a way that maybe we're really passionate about theology, then we can kind of gravitate towards people who are like-minded. We want to spend time with other people who are passionate about theology. Or we, we can gravitate towards people who are really passionate about worship if that's what I'm passionate about. Or I want to hang out with people who are doing the hands-on service stuff because that's what I'm passionate about. And the problem is, is yes, God has gifted us all differently, but the giftings that he has given to us are meant for us to edify one another. So if you only hang out with those who are like minded or gifted in the same way that you are, you're actually missing out on the grace of God on your life. You need to spend time with people who are gifted vastly different than you are. You need to spend time with people who don't emphasize the same things that you might emphasize. And so spend time with Christians who are different than you, different than you. Okay. So those are, that's like the what of community. What, these are these, these five rules that we do. Uh, this, I think kind of covers almost everything that the New Testament calls Christians to do. So that's, that's the what. We're called to be students. We're called to be servants. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to be family. And we're called to be worshipers. Thank you. <laughs> and you can tell that my inclination, I probably would identify more as someone who's all about the stu study, the theology. And I need to spend time with people who are passionate about the witnessing and the worship because those are things that I, I think I can just move away from. And do you know where you're gifted and where you're not gifted? And do you have people in your life who can shore up the places where you're weak? So do you have those categories in mind? Okay, so that's the what of community, what we do our activities. How do we do community? How do, we, how do we get deeper into community? How do we build community? Well, I think Acts chapter 2 also speaks to that as well. I think there's uh, four different levels of community, of, of intimacy that Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 describe. And here they are. There's the level of participation, the level of service, the level of hospitality, and the level of fellowship. Now, if you can imagine, let's say there's uh, four concentric circles going around each other. And uh, as you move closer and closer to the middle, there's more intimacy, more, more connection. As you move farther away out, there's less intimacy. And so these four levels correspond with those four uh, aspects of intimacy. And at the very center, you have this biblical concept of fellowship. And then a little less intimacy is hospitality. A little bit less than is service. And at the very fringe is participation. And I think you see all four of these here in Acts chapter uh, 2. So let's start with participation. So participation, we see that when the disciples heard the gospel message, they did not say, oh, wow, we've been living incorrectly, we've repented, now we need to get out of the city, we need to get out of this place, get away from all these non-believers and go out to the desert and, you know, have a new community out there. Uh, they didn't do that, even though that was a, a pretty popular option at the time. There's a group of Jews who were called the Essenes who lived in Qumran, which was this, this desert uh, 
location outside of populated spaces. And these Jews basically said, man, we don't want to be like those legalists. We don't want to be like those wicked people in the city. We got to get out and, and just start our own thing over here. But that's not what the Christians did. In fact, the Christians were so involved in city life that as time went on and the gospel advanced, there was a term for people who, were not, who weren't Christians. And they were called pagans, pagans. And the reason why uh, these people were called pagans is because they were of the country. That is, the word pagan originally meant someone who lived outside of the city. And so as time went on, the cities were known to be Christian. And therefore, if you weren't a Christian, most likely you lived out in the country, you lived away. And so as time went on, pagans, those of the country, were associated with not being Christians. And so here's, here's the, this, this point that the participation of the Christians in just the community around them was uh, just a, a fact of their life, that they, they didn't leave the area in order to fulfill their calling. What does it mean to participate in the larger community? Uh, it, it basically, it's, it's a low intimacy. You're just doing life in this space. Uh, this acts of participation can include running a 5K, going to the grocery store, uh, maybe part participating in a city council meeting. These are things that don't require a whole lot of intimacy with people in order to do them, but you're interacting with a lot of people as a result. And so you have this first category of participation, low intimacy, but you're interacting with a lot of people. Second, you have service. And we see this in verse 45 that the, the Christians were using their resources to bless others, even those who weren't Christians. Um, and so this is, this is a, a little bit more intimacy is required. For you to be able to serve someone, you have to know them to some degree. And this could be, for us, it could be anything from mowing someone's lawn, delivering a meal to them, doing something where we're engaging in serving a specific need that they have. And again, this requires a little bit more intimacy than the participation level. But next you see the hospitality. And uh, this is just when you have someone enter into your personal space. You have someone who's, who's in the same place as you, using the same resources as you, and it's usually your space and your resources. This is hospitality. And uh, essentially what, what you're doing at this level is giving them a taste of what it means to be part of God's family. Some of these uh, uh, acts of hospitality can be inviting someone over for a meal, uh, giving them a ride. You, you make space. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, man, it's, it's tough for me to have people over for, over for dinner. My schedule's so busy. It's so random. It's just hard to coordinate that type of stuff. I want to be hospitable, but... Uh, just, it seems tough to make that happen. Well, let me uh, commend to you uh, Tyler Brandt. He, I think he does this really well, but uh, he, he's never invited me over for dinner, but he has, uh, yeah, <laughs> but he's, he's just picked me up in his truck and as he goes and does his routes uh, through the valley, we'll just hang and catch up and talk. And uh, I think that counts as, as hospitality, a time for us to, to get together. So, uh, Tyler's essentially sharing his personal space and personal time to open himself up to someone else. And again, that requires just a little bit more intimacy with that person. And then finally, you've got this core center of intimacy, the highest level of intimacy, which is fellowship, fellowship. And this is not only sharing your things, 
but it's also sharing yourself, sharing your heart with someone else. This is the deepest level of intimacy, and this is where you are known and your burdens are shared by others who you are, are, are fellowshipping with. Okay, so these, these four levels of participation, uh, we see them in Acts, but we, we see how we're called into them as well. And again, I have a few observations about how this should affect and, and inform our family life here at Christ Community Church. So one, I want to, I want to warn you guys, don't think that as a Christian, you need to be in the fellowship circle all the time. Like constantly pouring out your heart and weeping over sins and all that. Like that, there's a time and a place for that. And I know that there's some people in here who have not enjoyed that deep level of intimacy, of, of fellowship with other believers where you feel known but not ashamed. Some of you guys haven't experienced that. And I would commend you to pursue that. But just because that's the highest level of intimacy doesn't mean it's wrong to be in these other four categories. They're all important. We need to be participating in the city life. We need to be serving others. We need to be opening up our homes to people we don't know as well. If we're just in the fellowship stage, we're going to be missing out a lot of opportunities to connect with people we might not otherwise know. So don't, don't think the, the fellowship level is the only correct place to be. Uh, second, you typically have to start with the lighter felt intimacy levels before you get to the deeper ones. So before you can serve someone, you have to be kind of participating uh, in life with them before they maybe open themselves up to being served. Likewise, um, maybe you need to serve someone for a little while before you can invite them to share of your resources uh, and so on and so forth. So if you try to go from like participation all the way to fellowship, that can make some people feel a little uncomfortable, right? So saying, hey, I want to tell you everything about your life. And some people say, whoa, 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 I want to know your name first before you just pour out everything, right? So, so be aware that some people need to gradually go through these deeper intimacy levels over time. Don't, don't uh, you know, feel like you just need to go diving in. Sometimes God makes that happen, and that's really cool to see. But uh, I think we, we need to be aware of just how people typically are connected with. Okay. And then point number three for this uh, is that when we, when we understand fellowship, and I've kind of referenced this already, sometimes we can say, you know, we, we got together and ate and, you know, had fun and talked together and there was a great time of fellowship. And I think that's a legitimate way to talk about fellowship. But I think the biblical understanding Christian fellowship is a little bit deeper, a little bit more rich. That is, again, you're, you're at a place where you are known but not ashamed of, of being known. You're at a place where you're, you're able to share what your burdens are and what your concerns are, and you have other people encouraging you and affirming you. And I think we, we need to understand that that type of fellowship is worth pursuing and uh, sometimes just takes some time to get to that point. One of the big things that I've learned in the last couple of years is that, of course, we would say that quality time is better than quantity time. Saying, oh, yeah, you want, you want to have quality time, you know, don't, don't you know, focus on the quality time stuff. And I think that's true, but the, I think the truth is that usually it takes a lot of quantity time before you get to the quality time. That is, you just got to put in the hours with the person before the, the quality time starts to really bloom. And I think we see this with these four levels of intimacy. Okay, so 
We talked about these, these participation, service, hospitality, and fellowship levels. And I think this is how community has grown, that we, we kind of work through these four different levels and become more connected. And we see this with the life of Jesus in a few places. He, he's just kind of doing things and, and normal, normal routines. And as a result, he begins to interact with people. And then eventually he serves them. And then maybe he brings them in and begins to eat with them. And, and then he begins to kind of go into their hearts. And so anyway, don't have time to, to peer into that. But I do have some points of application now. So with that in mind, here's the truth. Some of you need to move to the next level of intimacy. Maybe you're at the participation level. You show up on Sunday mornings, but God is calling you to take the next step. He's, asked, he's, he's calling you to go from just participating to get into a deeper level of relationships, of, of community. Maybe you need to start serving and get involved somewhere. Um, maybe you're at the service level and you haven't pushed into any deeper relationships. And I think some people can use their ministry or their service as a way, as a, like a blockade to kind of keep uh, other people out of their lives. They say, hey, I'm serving, I'm getting the job done, I'm, I'm putting in the hours, don't ask me too many questions, don't peer too much into my life, you know, keep your distance. We can use our service as a barrier between us and others. So be aware of that. So Yes, what's the next step of intimacy that you need to take with the people of God, with with your family, the family of God? Second, some of you guys need to take the next level of intimacy with your non-Christian friends and neighbors, that there's people that God has put into your life that you're still keeping at a distance. You, You might participate in some basic ways with them, but Maybe you need to start serving them. Maybe you need to invite them over for a meal and begin to take that relationship to a more intimate place and, and build trust with that person. And, and finally, some of us need to get a place where we can be challenged, where we can be encouraged and where we can be in a place where all five of these roles, servant, witness, worshiper, learner, and family can have some space to express themselves. And we do that in community. And one of the best ways that we do that here is through our community groups. These are groups that meet during the week and we, we come together. And I want to just take a little bit of time just to show the difference between a community group and a Bible study. Community group versus a Bible study. So typically at a Bible study, it's one person who's doing most of the talking, maybe most of the teaching, and everyone else is there mostly listening, taking notes. And if you're a newer Christian, I would recommend that. That's a really good thing to do because, again, the word is our foundation and informs everything else. And so if you're just taking time to study the Bible, that is really great. But if our study of the Bible doesn't lead us to obedience of the Bible, then we're going to be missing out. And so a community group is not just a Bible study, but a Bible application. That is, we're called not only to be students of the Word, but to fulfill these other roles as well. And it's a place where everyone is called to use their gifts to serve others. It's not just one or two people doing the ministry, but everyone is ministering to one another. Um, I want to, yeah, maybe just kind of walk through. Uh, I have a community group on Monday nights, 
And I want to maybe just walk through real quick just what we try to do. We don't do this perfectly. We still are growing. We're still learning. But I just want to kind of give you a very concrete example of what this might look like to fulfill these roles in Christian community. So usually when uh, we get together, we probably spend, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes just hanging out and, and talking. And typically we'll, after that, start off with a song and, and fulfill our worshiper role and sing praises to God. Uh, after that, we, we usually have a time where the gospel is retold, the retelling of the gospel. It can be as simple as saying, God is good and created us to know him. Man has sinned and fallen short and lost that relationship. But through Christ, that relationship can be restored through faith. And now we await by faith Christ's return. Something as simple as just retelling the story and fulfilling this witness, telling of God's work, telling of his glory, telling what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. But then, of course, we do study the Bible. We've been going through 1 John recently, just working through what that means and how it applies to our life. Um, we spend some time in prayer. Uh, if uh, someone is perhaps sick or has uh, broken both of their wrists or something. Uh, we, we try to serve them and minister to them. We try to fulfill this servant role that we've been called into. And then student, worshiper, servant, witness, family. Oh, yeah. So uh, every, I know it's hard to keep track. I hope you guys are taking notes. Um, Every week we do something called highs and lows. And basically what this is, is everyone in the group will share a high and a low from their last, the last seven days. And it doesn't have to be your highest high, and it doesn't have to be your lowest low. Just inform us about what you're excited about and what you're not so excited about in the group. So we can be able to minister to one another better and better. And so this is our way of trying to apply these five roles to uh, be disobedient to what God is calling us to. And so I would say that, you know, these community groups that we have, and by the way, we have uh, one being led by Amanda and I, another one being led by Tom, uh, another one being led by Jesse Zendejas, and another one being led by Joe. So if you're interested in joining a community group, come talk to me after the service and we'll, we'll get you connected. But community groups are really a really good way to fulfill God's commands for us, but they don't necessarily have to be the only way. Um, at my old church in Louisville, we, we had this thing called Fight Club. And basically there were accountability groups where uh, two or three guys or two or three girls would get together and just encourage one another, confess sins to one another, and just, just be able to uh, hold each other up and bear one another's burdens. And of course we called them Fight Clubs. Uh, what happens in Fight Club stays in Fight Club. And so uh, it was just, you know, there's different ways to make this happen, but are you making it happen? Are you in a place where you're able to use your giftings for the benefit of others and allowing others to use their giftings for your benefit as well? Now, okay, so that's, that's maybe a little bit of a of different way, some practical hands-on ways that we can fulfill what it means to be the, part of the family of God. Now, I recognize that just by saying some of these things, there's a few of you in this room who are like, okay, you want me to become vulnerable. You want me to open myself up to these people? Are you sure? And the answer is yes. And I'll, let me tell you why. First, if you say, well, I don't want to open myself up because I did that in the past. And when I opened myself up in the past, I got hurt. When I made myself vulnerable, uh, others used me and I just don't want to even deal with that anymore. 
uh, I understand where you come from. And I will have to say this, that there is, not, there is no risk of you getting hurt by joining and opening yourself up to other Christians. There is no risk of that at all. It is going to happen. It is for sure going to happen. You have to be, yeah, there's, it's, you will be hurt. You will be offended. Someone's going to say something that has rubbed you the wrong way. It's going to happen. But God has called us to keep going, to press through it, and to show grace to others, the same grace that we've been shown. So even then, some of you guys are still saying, okay. Uh, and Well, I will say this, that just because someone's a Christian doesn't necessarily mean they've earned your trust. They still need to earn that. They still need to prove that they're a reliable uh, person that you can confide in. And so uh, that takes time. That takes, that takes effort to build up trust in each other. And so we do need to put in that work. And just because someone says that they're a Christian uh, doesn't automatically mean it's wise to just bear your heart open to them. You need to, you need to show, uh, see that they are, they are, in fact, a trustworthy person. But still, some of you guys are saying, okay, my problem isn't I don't know who to trust or who not to trust. The problem is I can't, I can't trust at all. I don't, I don't want to be vulnerable to anyone at all. Here's, here's what I would say. You think you're protecting yourself by closing yourself off to others. That's, that's what you're thinking, that you're, you're going to be safe. You're going to be, you're going to be, you won't be hurt. You won't be affected if you open yourself and become vulnerable to another person. But the truth is this, that you will be hurt and you will be damaged if you don't open yourself up to other people. C.S. Lewis put it so well in his book, The Four Loves. He says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Here's the truth, that there's going to be more damage by not opening yourself up to others than there will be by closing yourself off to others. But there's one other thing that I want you to consider. I want you to look to Jesus Christ. I want you to consider God's own relationship to humanity, humanity how, how God has interacted with people. If you read through the Old Testament, every single book has some issue where God is trying to build a relationship with people and they betray him. They lie to him. They use him. They, they don't follow through. They, they cheat on God himself. And some commentators have looked at this in the Old Testament and says, man, you know, it's... it's Crazy because it looks like God is in the worst relationship ever. It's, it seems as if God, there's no one has gone through as much heartache and, and betrayal as God himself has done, yet he still continues to be faithful to his people. And here's the truth, that even though God deserved to just step back and say, man, those, those humans, they're heartbreakers. They're, they're not any good. I need to have some positive influences on my life, people who care about me. I'm not going to mess with, with the humans. God didn't say that. When he saw our faithlessness, he remained faithful and didn't step away from the pain, the messiness, and the brokenness. He stepped into it. And God 
became man in Jesus Christ. He took on flesh, and God became vulnerable for us. He became open to being hurt, not even just the risk of being hurt, but the guarantee of being hurt, the guarantee of death by a cross, by becoming vulnerable so that we could be saved, so that we could be brought into the family. I want you, if you're struggling to open yourself up to Christian community, look to Jesus and the cost of his vulnerability to bring you in. You struggle to bring others in because they're maybe a mess, they're broken. Look at Jesus and and what he went through in order to bring you into his family. He still loved and gave himself. And again, Jesus had all the community he needed just in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he, he wasn't desperate for human love, desperate for human companionship. God... Jesus had everything he needed in the community of the triune God, but still he left his glory and came down and suffered and died so that we who are aliens could be brought into the household of God. Some of you haven't known what it's like to be a son of God. You guys haven't experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. And my commendation to you today is to put your faith not in yourself, but to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to turn from trying to prove your identity instead accept the free, free identity of being a child of God here today. For those of us who are Christians, and maybe we've been Christians for a while, but we, we fail to live according to our identity, press in, take that next level of intimacy into uh, the community of God. Open yourself up. There's going to be people that, that God has put into your life that he wants you to uh, connect with. And there's probably some people in your life who say, okay, they're an acquaintance. I don't want them any closer to me. I don't want them to become more intimate with me. I want to keep them away. Invite those people to your house for dinner. Invite them over and spend some time with them. And I think you'll be surprised. I think you'll be surprised about uh, how God can move. And we, we do these things not merely because we're blessed in doing them, but also uh, because it blesses God's heart as well. So consider who you need to just take the next step with. Maybe, again, you, you are just participating at a very shallow level in, in the Christian life and you need to go deeper into serving. Or you need to uh, spend time with other believers. Make it happen. Come speak to me after the service and we'll get you connected with a community group. We'll get you connected with the women's study. There's a, the archers group. If you're a younger person, they've got a group on Friday nights. There's ways to go deeper into Christian community. And if you're not doing that, then you're going to be at risk of what C.S. Lewis talks about, that your heart's going to become hard, it's going to become bitter, it's going to become cynical, and you're going to be missing out on the blessings of God. The blessings that Christ has won for you on the cross, don't neglect what God has accomplished, what God has won for you. Let's pray. Father, we, we do ask that you would help us to be reminded of this family that you have brought us into. We recognize that this is the most beautiful and the most broken, messiest, worst family ever. That's just the kinds of people that you have brought together. It's, it's ridiculous, but uh, that's the power of the gospel, that what we who were once aliens and strangers have now been united under the blood of Christ, one baptism, one spirit. Father, that has changed everything. And so we pray that we can live out our family identity, our, our who we are in Christ to shape what we do in Christ. Father, help us to uh, open ourselves, become more vulnerable, not only to you, but to one another as well. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.